for the quitters. Game quitters. Listen up, quitters. Game quitters. It's the Game Quitters Podcast with Cam Adair and Jason Wellwood. On today's episode, special guest Adam Roa from the Deep Dive Podcast. And now, here he is, quitting before it was cool. Your host, Cam Adair. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode five of the Game Quitters podcast. I'm your host, Cam Adair, here with Jason. Jason, what's going on? Hey, I'm doing good, Cam. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm really excited for today's episode. Adam Roa is a really good friend of mine, and he's just, you know, as you'll listen to in the interview, he's one of the most talented people that I know. Uh, just kind of a jack of all trades. Really, really talented guy. So excited about that. But before we dive into the interview, you know, we want to hear a quick update from you. You're in the midst of your 90-day detox. It's been another week. How are you doing? Yeah, Cam, it's been great. I can't believe it's already been about what, two weeks now? I feel like every week I come out with a new insight or something new that I've learned from not gaming. And uh, I think this week, the thing that really stood out to me is I've been doing a lot of reading about trying to live now in the moment, take action, do things, but not worry so much about the results. Because I feel like there's a lot of stress sometimes when you're always thinking into the future and thinking, is is what I'm doing now going to go a certain way? And try not to get too attached to how things are going to turn out and kind of just go with the flow of things. And how this ties into what I've been experiencing on the 90 Day Detox week two is that sometimes when you're having a rough patch, uh, it's important not to worry too much about Am I going to end up ruining my progress? Am I going to slip up? Am I going to fail? Because doing that is like throwing more fuel on the fire. You might already be feeling an urge to play, but once you start thinking about, I guess, crushing your own self-esteem a little bit and worrying about the results of your your actions, it hinders you more. So what I've been trying to do is just try to be more present in the moment. I get a bit, I guess it's a bit of like a meditative practice, if anything. And I find that's been helping to center me when I feel the need to go and maybe try to put a game on. Now, it doesn't happen too often for me, but I did have a moment just last week where I was having a pretty rough day. I hadn't really been sleeping good. I just felt not like I wanted to play, but I thought, what if I just started playing again? I started entertaining that thought. You know, I started thinking, what if? And I started thinking of all the scenarios and I could see myself going down that spiral again. And it reminded me of the things I went through in the past. And I kind of realized the more I thought about it, the more I started feeling kind of bad about myself because I was, I was projecting into the future, projecting what if. So I guess if anything, if I could turn this into some piece of advice for you is just try to always uh, stay present in the moment and try not to worry about how much time do I have left to go on this thing. Don't entertain the what if, just focus on what am I doing right now? And I guess you could even, like I said, practice a little a snippet of meditation yourself if you find yourself craving or having the urge just just try this just try breathing and look around the room and just experience things as they're happening you know feel your breath going in and out and i promise you that if you do this for at least a minute or two you'll start to center yourself and those thoughts of gaming will actually start to become weaker and maybe even wash away entirely um yeah i don't know i, I guess that's something i i picked out personally i know this experience is is vastly different for everyone who goes through it but uh 
certainly meditation and just centering yourself can go a long way in, in making this whole detox process a lot easier, I, I believe anyways. Exactly. And remember that this is a time in your life where you get to learn more about yourself and learn more about how do you deal with things like cravings and urges and thoughts of playing. And, you know, this is really a journey where you have the opportunity to do things differently. When we're gaming, we're very much in autopilot mode. We're just kind of living our life unconsciously. Just, you know, we game in all of the time that we have outside of our obligations. And so when you quit gaming, you go through this period where, you know, that habit has been developed, that way of thinking, that way of just unconscious living. And so it's making the shift to now being much more intentional with your time, thinking a lot more about, you know, I'm feeling this way, maybe I'm feeling a bit stressed or I'm feeling some cravings to play, but wait, what are my values? What are my goals? What's the vision I have for my life? What's important to me? And making that shift in the moment, right? So I love thinking about responsibility in the term of chopping up the word to be response and ability, your ability to respond. So it's not about having these cravings come in and now having to go through with them, but instead, if they come in, okay, cool, notice them, and now you get to make a new choice, right? You don't have to follow through with them. So, yeah, really great lesson, very well said, and really stoked for your progress. And, you know, here's to another week. So we'll dive into the interview now with Adam Rowe. really excited about it, but we'll check in with you next week, Jason, and, and really excited to hear how you're doing. Sounds good, Cam. Enjoy the interview. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with my buddy, Adam Roa. That's how you say your last name, right? Are you just now asking me how to say my last name? <laughs> how long have you known me? You've been on, you've heard my own podcast for how long? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's right, Roa. Sweet. <laughs> and we're here in San Diego and really excited. I was just on Deep Dive today for the second time, which is The Deep podcast. Dive with Adam. How do you say your last name, Roa? There we go. That's your new nickname. <laughs> and... You were on the YouTube channel before we did a video Zanzibar, in Zanzibar yeah. because you used to be a pro gamer. I, I did, although not at the level that probably some of the people wish that they were hearing from me. Right. So let's like give quick background and yeah. then let's move on from that because people will be really interested in, in that background for you. And then let's move on from that and dive into you know we want to talk about creativity today we want to talk about flow we even want to go into psychedelics so this is going to be an episode that's probably very different than average <laughs> game course podcast but one thing you know we were just discussing just being authentic mm -hmm. and for me it's like i don't want to live my life constantly scared of i have this opinion and what are people going to think or I say this and I swear on stage and what are people gonna think? I just wanna live my life and if people aren't attracted to that, that's fine. You don't have to listen to the podcast or turn it off or go do something else, but like, I'm still gonna be me. Yeah. Right, so give us a quick background and then we'll dive in. Yeah, so um, I, specifically around video games, I had every gaming system growing up. Like, I fell in love with Atari when I was in like, uh, first grade or something. I played like, I think it was called Battle Zone or something. It was like these tanks, but like pixelated tanks. And um, then had like regular Nintendo with the Duck Hunt Mario Brothers and then uh, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, PlayStation, N64, all the way up. And then 
It all changed when I went over to my friend's house my freshman year of high school and he showed me Counter-Strike. And I immediately um, camped in the spawn for with a uh, the worst gun ever, which is that uh, automatic sniper rifle. But it was like the, the way that I could camp and then zoom in and just like keep hitting the button. And I went, I, I must have gone like 17 and three uh, my first time ever playing the game and I was hooked. Uh, everyone hated me obviously because I was camping in spawn with a sniper rifle, but uh, I built, I spent all my, my money from my summer job and built my own computer and then pursued non-stop Counter-Strike from that point forward, except for when we would take breaks from Counter-Strike to play uh, StarCraft. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it was early on in like the competitive gaming thing uh, with Counter-Strike. It was uh, like we brought our computers to LAN tournaments and stuff like that. Team 3D was the, the biggest team around. Like they were the only real professional team that, that anyone had ever heard of. And they weren't even making a lot of money. They were sponsored by CompUSA. And, but like, so it was that early on. And uh, I used to play, I mean, easily I would play 12 hours in a day in, with like beef jerky and gummy bears next to me um, and miss everything. What has always been interesting is that I've also always had a very active social uh, life. So um, girls, friends, drinking, drugs, uh, sports, academics, like all of it. I was doing that and I was doing the gaming thing. I honestly don't even know how, but that, that's kind of my background. Speaking of drugs, there was... <laughs> out of all of that, that's the thing that stood out. Well, there's, there's, a, there's, <laughs> there's an element of, of you that, that's very interesting, which is there was a point where you were doing heroin. Mm, yes. <laughs> Tell us about that. Um... Hmm. Yeah, so I have always described myself as a seeker. So I am incredibly analytical. I, I want to know. I have this thirst for knowledge that's insatiable. And um, I used to say when I was younger, like, I'll try anything twice. <laughs> <laughs> because the first time I'm not even sure like I'm gonna I want to be in the experience and then maybe it's different the second time like I can go in with a little bit of an understanding you know not so fish out of water um, and not even because of for any other reason than I just want to have that experience like I want to know everything that there is to know I, I, I get off on that and at a certain point uh, a friend of mine had been doing heroin and uh, I said, hey, I'd like to try that. I'm, I'm just curious about it. And I knew at that point that I was going to be moving to Los Angeles to become an actor. Um, that was my, my dream and my passion and I was full on into that. And I rationalized it in a lot of ways as an exploration of a different, darker side that would only help me because I believe that the the more I I explore myself, the the more deeply I can understand others, and so the exploration of I, I had conversation full on conversations with uh, friends of mine who were smoke I was smoking heroin with who wound up homeless in prison 
uh, stealing from their family, etc. And I had honest conversations where I said, you know you're a drug addict? And they said, yes. And I said, what does it feel like to be addicted? What does that feel like? Because I don't understand it because um, I'm sitting here smoking heroin with you and I feel like I can quit. Yeah, so like that, that's where it was for me. And, and it was worse than that because I was doing heroin and snorting cocaine at the same time. It's called speedballing. And for those of you who, who know Mitch Hedberg, the comedian, uh, one of my favorite all-time comedians, he died doing that. A lot of people have died doing that because the heart just basically can't handle the two different um, frequencies of those drugs. And uh, when I look back on it, I realize that I was... At, at the heart of it, I was searching for fulfillment. Like that's really what it was. It, what, it was, um, I wasn't doing the, like I'll do psychedelics now and um, do them with a lot of intention. And back then the intention was fulfillment. And it's the same reason I was doing everything back then. It's the same reason that I was um, moving out to Los Angeles to be an actor. It was, it was the same reason why I was dating girls that weren't good for me, <laughs> quote unquote. Um, but like I was, I was searching, I was looking for something to fulfill me, for sure. So nowadays you're like an artist, you're an actor, you, you're an amazing filmmaker, poet. You're one of the people in my life who I, who I really look to as, as just someone who's so talented. It's kind of like whatever, whatever you do, you seem to be able to do it to to a very high high skill level. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you that. You can quote me on that. Has it always been that way? What do you think it is about you and, and your process that, that allows you to do things to such a, a high degree? Oh, wow. Um, well, I mean, I received that compliment. Thank you. I would say... I'm going to put this in context because doing something to a high degree is is really relative, right? Like some pe you can put out a professional movie, like a full feature film with some star name actors and people think it's shit. You know what I mean? And the Rotten Tomatoes are terrible or whatever. And from like a filmmaking standpoint, it's a well done film. So the high degree thing, uh, putting that into context, I will say that things have always come easy to me in in like school was something that I got good grades without trying really hard um, I have a photographic memory so that really helped a lot and then I found acting and how do I put this so when things have have had come easily to me uh, I would avoid the things that didn't and I would focus on the things that did and I would assign my value and my worth to the things that I was good at and then the things that I couldn't do, like I was a really late bloomer in high school and everyone else around me could like play sports at a really high level and when you can't run as fast and you're not as strong, it's much more difficult and I was like, well, they're not gonna be professional sports players. I'm not gonna be a professional sports player so that's not as important as being good at this, like school, right? Getting good grades or whatever. Um, and with that said, I, when I started to follow my heart and decided to move out to Los Angeles to be an actor, I had an acting coach 
who I hired in, in Arizona before I made the move. And I was working with her every single week, putting in a lot of money because this was like one-on-one -on -one coaching. Uh, and it's when I think back on it, it's actually the first time that I'd ever invested in myself in that way. And I was good. I was a good actor, natural talent, like not shy in front of the camera. And I wasn't great. And at a certain point, she said to me, you're not getting it. It's like, what? I think I'm pretty good. She's like, no, you're not getting it. And I'm gonna give you one more scene and you're gonna take as long as you need, however many weeks, months, whatever, to get it. And you're gonna come back and perform it. And if it's not up to the level that it needs to be, I'm done coaching you because I can't take you any further. You're not, it's not clicking for you. I was like, what the fuck? The nerve on this, this, this chick, but it really, something's shifted in me and I put in more work than into that one like three minute scene than I'd put into anything in my life. And I like read the book that the movie was based on and I watched the movie and then I watched the movie again on mute to watch how things were done and like I did so much research and put it into this three minute scene and when I performed it was unlike anything that I'd ever experienced. I was fully in it. I reached a level of emotional vulnerability that I had never experienced because my dad being this like stoic Asian man who never showed emotion, I, I was emotionally shut down. And that moment taught me what it takes to be great. And so now I've been combining the natural gifts that I've, I've been blessed to come in with, with an understanding of if you wanna be great at something, there's a level of energy and input and effort that goes into that, that it doesn't matter how much natural talent you have because that the natural talent's a multiplier of your effort. The natural talent will not do, like if you just sit at home and you're like the most gifted, um, rap artist on the planet. I do spoken words, so that's why it came in my head, but like rap artist on the planet, but you never actually get in studio and start making stuff. You never actually go and promote your stuff and do it live. You're not, no one's gonna just knock on your door randomly and be like, hey, I heard you're the, you're the most talented rapper on the planet. Here you go, here's a contract. So talent multiplies effort. And um, yeah, that was a, a clicking point for me. And I try and apply that to everything that I'm doing now and specifically, I feel like I've been talking a really long time, Cam, but specifically, uh, I also recognize that the things that you're most passionate about are the things you're gonna want to put sustained effort into. So I try not to do anything that I'm not super passionate about. Right. Right, because then when I'm passionate about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm gonna want to put that level of effort in, and luckily I have talent that, that will help me in, uh, produce something that's really nice. Right. And that segues into a really interesting part of you and I are so similar in so many ways and, and also so different <laughs> in so many ways and one of the ways that that we're different but I also I learned so so one, one thing people may not know about me is, is I think one of my gifts is being able to to understand what makes someone else great mm -hmm. and then backwards engineer that in myself well you're one of the best um, you know you have uh, what supporter promoter analyzer controller like you are one of the the best uh, promoters and and uh, that I know like seriously like you genuinely love 
seeing what's great in people and promoting that out into the world. And, and I think that's amazing. I think it's incredible, especially for someone like myself who was so like competitive and like it was a, a zero sum game. So like if, you, if I was promoting you, somehow I was lessening myself. And so part of what unlocked that for me was Alexi. So our, our friend Alexi Panos, because when I met Alexi, and, and I'm also a very competitive person where it's like, like I wanna win and I wanna make sure you lose. Hmm. Like it's, it's like zero sum. But when I met Lex, she was a person who I, who I met who was an example of like, the thing I love about her is that she's genuinely happy when everyone else wins. Like mm. she's really, like you could say, San Francisco, I did my show and it was awesome and she would be stoked, mm -hmm. right? For me, she's been stoked in so many ways. She never has that element of like, I have to win so that you can lose. Mm -hmm. and. So I've tried to backwards engineer that, right? Like, how does she do that? What beliefs, like, how does she do it? And how can I learn it myself? I don't think that it's a surprise that I have become more of a, like, like love is all there is as I've spent more time with Preston. Because mm -hmm. I've, I've seen how he shows up in that way. Mm -hmm. Even little things of, like, having conversations with, with homeless people or, or just saying hi to them or, or just showing up with more compassion. It doesn't surprise me that I'm, I'm softer and more present and um, more grateful as I spend time with you and, and Melinda or Azria, where that's something I've noticed in you guys. And so I, I recognize like what makes people great and I try to learn that in myself. And one of the things that's interesting for you when it relates to you is, is that I work a ton of hours. It's almost like, how many hours can I work? <laughs> and I wanna work, even yesterday, like I basically didn't work yesterday. We were just hanging out at, at the <laughs> house. That was like a day off for me. Yeah. But I was still, I still basically almost kind of worked all day. Mm -hmm. And I know for you, it, it's a very different type of way that you work. <laughs> That's a nice way it's, to say it's it. It's a very diplomatic way of saying it. Uh -huh. But what's interesting is, is you were just saying in order for you to reach those levels of, of greatness or talent or, it's, it's about putting in that energy, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's an interesting word because it's not just effort, it's not just work, but it's energy. Mm -hmm. and, and so tell us a little bit about your process because for me, it's like this weekend I worked 13 hours every single day and I loved it. And at the end of the day, I was like, yo, I need to go to bed. Like, yeah. This was like intense. And that's something I love, but it's also something I'm learning to shift into more of tapping into that flow in my life. And that's why like we go surfing a lot more now because I'll wake up, go surf. And I notice my entire rest of my day is way better. Mm -hmm. My work is better because I'm tapping into that flow in my life. And so what's your process like? Because I know from an energetic standpoint, you're putting in a lot, but the way it shows up maybe from like hours, output, that sort of thing is different. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my thing is, I guess to understand where I'm coming from, uh, it's important to understand that I don't see time as the way that most people do. I see time based on this this concept called Einstein time, which I read in The Big Leap, which is uh, a book by Gay Hendricks, uh, which I think is really great for all your listeners who want to read it. Um, and it's basically, you know, we could have this conversation, we can be at this podcast, and by the snap of a fingers, an hour's gone by. We're like, whoa, like we were super dropped in and it just flew by. And then you could be interviewing someone who you're not 
resonating with and you're like, ah, this is taking forever and that hour can feel so long. Um, and so really time is not consistent in that way. Time is relative to our perception of it. And so the idea that then that the more time you put into something, the naturally just the better it's going to be or the um, more results you'll see afterwards is also based on that, uh, like what I see to be an incorrect understanding of time because you can have that flow state that like you can go surf for two hours uh, by the time it's all said and done, you getting out of the wet to go in, you take that two hours off and go surfing. And then in the next two hours, get as much done as if you had taken just four hours of work. And so I base everything I do on being in alignment. And that's just purely from that kind of logical analytical understanding of time. Going to a deeper cut of that, I believe that everything is energy. Everything is energy. And so my ability to show up in greatness, in excellence, in um, my fullest self is allowing me to basically take 100% of my energy into whatever it is I'm doing, right? And so when I turn and say, okay, I'm gonna create this one-man show, right? Or I'm gonna start this, this new f coaching program. I get to say, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to stay in my aligned state so that I'm 100% present, I'm full of gratitude, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm just like this vessel for, for whatever wants to flow through me to flow through me, whether you call it God or source or divine or just universe or creative energy or Shakti, whatever you want to call that, I, I want to just be open for that to flow out into the world through me. And the my work then is not taking 13 hours to practically work the way people would, would think of it normally, but it looks like I will take as much time as necessary to get into my aligned state because I know that everything I do is more effective and more efficient and also the finished product is better if I'm creating from that, that flow state. And uh, it's a very different approach. It's absolutely not what is taught. There's a lot of really incredible motivational speakers out in the world like Gary Vee, right, who talk about outwork the competition. And I would say just if you change your relationship to what you think work is, if you can see that conversation, like that conversation we had last night, right? That conversation was probably an hour and a half long and that will feed into everything else I do. There's a reason we had that conversation. And so me being able to sit here, the person I am now, I'm going to do another one of these right afterwards it's in me. It's in my brain. And, and there's a reason it happened last night right before this. And I trust that, that that is just as much work, quote unquote, as um, sitting in front of a computer and designing a funnel for my next program. Right. And one of the interesting things last night that, you know, for, for everyone listening, you know, it was uh, Preston Smiles, Alexi Panos, Azria, Adam, myself, you know, just our crew, a group of friends that after a long day of, you know, people working and we had tacos and all this stuff, we just kind of 
created this space for us to have a conversation, just the five of us. And it's interesting because there were certain parts of how that environment was created that there was a lot of intention behind that then allowed the space to be there. For instance, at one point, Azria turned the lights down, mm -hmm. right? You have this awesome area uh, with pillows where people could kind of sit and hang out and, and even some of the questions that people were prompting with or the fact that we all knew we were going to have a conversation so we all got kind of present to that mm -hmm. instead of like being on our phones and I don't even know where my phone was actually but at one point. that's that's exactly my point right like you, everyone chose to be fully present in that moment fully present that meant 100% of your energy was there you're not like even if maybe 5% is thinking about oh, I could be working or whatever but like not having your phone not having your laptop you're 100% present in that moment and therefore like if you can you're going to get so much more out of the conversation that can be applied to everything else that, that we do. We can say, oh, while I'm working on game quitters or while I'm working on unlocking your inner artist, while I'm doing that, then I get to be fully there 100% and trust that that's, I can get as much done in an hour at 100% energy and focus as two hours at 50% or you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and. What's amazing about that is there are ways to expand our container, right? Expand our energy so that, for example, everyone thinks, of, not everyone, like if, if you want to be an entrepreneur, let's say, of any kind, and people are envisioning, ah, oh, I would love to be making a million dollars a year, right? Making a million dollars, there's a certain amount, like you have to be able to hold that what comes with that. The amount of clients, the amount of even just like bookkeeping and taxes and like there's just stuff that comes with that. Uh, when I first started leading workshops, I wanted rooms full, right? And my first workshop that I led with Azria had like eight people in it and we wanted 30. We had rented like 40 chairs and there were like eight people. and there was a situation that came up where someone didn't want to do one of the exercises. And then because that person said that, another person was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not really comfortable with that exercise either. And then now imagine that's 40 people. Can, and what came up in me and how we navigated that, we were able to hold the container for those eight people. 40 people and now 10 of them don't want to do the exercise. That's a whole different experience. So while I might logically in my mind be like, oh, I'm ready for 40 people. I want it to be 40 people know that I get to expand into the person who can hold 40 people. Mm -hmm. And as you expand, you have more energy. You literally have more energy. Like the amount of energy that Oprah can hold, the things that, she, that Tony Robbins can hold, is so massive that if you or I were to just step into Oprah's life or, or Tony Robbins' life, it would be a fucking shit show. And that's just because, am I allowed to curse on this? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> just because um, we haven't yet expanded into that and it's such a different level. And that's not to say that we couldn't. It's not like if you dropped us in there, we wouldn't expand into it. But there would definitely be a transition. And so for me, I think the focus is on constantly expanding. So the things that I want to create can be created that much easier. Yeah. Like if I want to do that four week coaching program that, that I'm mentioning, well, that thing becomes more and more effortless the bigger my, my container gets, right? And uh, 
the first time that I do it, it's a much bigger thing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, my, my focus is on being continually expanding so that the energy I put into something makes that so much easier. And so how, how do you, if you're someone, so a lot of people listening to this are going to be, you know, the average age of our community is around 23, 24, 25, college student, coming to a point in their life where they're now conscious to the fact that they need to make a change. And maybe they've made a change, right? Maybe it came from they have an addiction to gaming or technology where, you know, we found 84% of our community knew they had a gaming problem over 12 months ago. And so they were continuing to play despite negative impact and even knowing consciously that it's creating negative impact. And now they're at a point where they've been like, actually, I need to like do something differently. Mm -hmm. Now, when you make that shift, there's a lot that comes with it because you're instantly kind of going from like, I was living this way to like, I need to live this way now. But your level of competency is at its lowest point and your need for it to be at its highest point is is urgent, right? And so expanding and creating, you know, expanding your container, having more energy, being more present. I, I know in my own personal experience how important those are. Mm -hmm. and, and those are things I'm constantly thinking about. Even before I started Game Quarters, I took two years to travel and meet people and really get into a place in my life where I was able to be the type of leader to take this sort of thing on because I'm holding a container for a massive amount of people mm -hmm. of wide ranges and I need to be able to hold that space. So for someone just starting out, I know that you're really big on like discovering more about who you are, unlocking more about who you are, being more present. How do you begin to expand that container and, and what does that look like you know, for someone who's, who's just beginning? Well, the very first thing is the intention. That's, that's the fact, like nothing changes until you want it to change. Plain and simple. Like if, if, if there is, like you said, your, your people will take 12 months and know that they have this problem before they actually want to shift it. Well, the desire to shift it is the thing that starts it right? We are the creators of our reality. We are, we are um, designing our lives, whether we're conscious of that or not. And so the moment that you begin to take conscious control over that and say, okay, I'm designing this, I'm creating this, I'm taking full responsibility for how I've wound up in this exact spot. A lot of people get really scared by that because now you're taking full responsibility. That's a scary thing to say, wow, I, I have been fired from my job, my relationship's failing, my, no one wants to talk to me, I've dropped out of school, like whatever it is. And, and that's not what I imagined for my life. It's easier a lot of times on the ego to be like, well, this is the reason why, and this is the reason why, and it's outside of me that this happened. And we, we sit in this victim consciousness because it helps in the moment when we're thinking about and doing the woe is me thing, we can feel better about it. But it's such a disservice in the long run because really what's happening when you take full ownership over where you are and, and that it's because of you that you're there, what you've really done is for the very first time in your life, potentially, you now have the power to shift it. Because 
if you're saying it's outside of your control that you wound up there, then you're also saying it's outside of your control that you're gonna get out of that situation. And so saying, okay, fully responsible, I own it, I'm here, great, fantastic. You are now in the position to shift it. And do you want to? A lot of times with addiction, especially, everyone else wants you to shift and you don't wanna shift. Um, and it has to come internally because you're creating the situation. So do you wanna shift it? If the answer is yes, you're already, you're already on your way. You've taken that first step. And the next thing uh, in my experience is to, I always look at the areas in my life that I want to shift, whatever that might be. And I ask the question, well, how has it served me up until now? So video games specifically, great. I've gotten myself into this situation that I feel is pretty shitty by playing video games to the point where it's a detriment. How, has, how have video games served me? Like it's not like you started playing video games knowing that you were gonna wind up here. You got to that point and you may even know that it's negative but still do it because it's somehow serving. And so when you can have an understanding of how that's serving, when, you, when I can understand, whoa, I'm doing a lot of heroin. The reason I quit smoking heroin was because I uh, had to go to uh, a work meeting and I rolled in basically out of this heroin days and had I kept sunglasses on inside and people just thought I was hungover and I felt terrible and most more importantly I felt my bones hurt like you know when you get a flu and you feel all achy like that's what my bones felt like and I was like what is going on and then I realized I'm having withdrawal symptoms and I never touched it again I'm blessed to somehow the chemically in my, whatever it is, I had the ability to walk away, but it wasn't until I experienced withdrawal that I said, okay, now it's time to stop. That was the catalyst for me that gave me the desire to stop. And I got to say, well, what was the reason I was doing it? Why? Can I find that fulfillment somewhere else? Can I shift it? Video games, does it make you feel like you have a community? Is that why like, you don't wanna give up video games because if you give up video games, you'll feel like you have no friends? Awesome, acknowledge that, take ownership of that and start to look at the places in your life where you do have friends. Or if you really don't have any friends, start to make, put the energy that you're putting in towards video games into making new friends. That's really easy to make new friends. I know it seems hard and a lot of people are like, I don't know how to do that. What do you love to do? Besides video games, like what do you love to do? If you don't know what that is, explore it. But then find the stuff you love to do that it's serving you in a more healthy way and you're gonna meet people who also love to do that. There you go, you now have a growing community. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even for us, like, like our relationship will continue to develop because we share surfing, mm -hmm. right? And, and it was, as soon as you moved here, first I was stoked because it was like another friend or a couple friends living in San Diego, but then a big shift in my life was taking initiative mm -hmm. and not just saying, okay, I want all these friends, but like, how can I take initiative to actually go out there and, and, and set that up? You posted something on in Instagram where it was like around the lines of, of pay attention to people's efforts in you because it kind of speaks to, to how much they actually 
want to have a relationship. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was like, I think it's really easy to be passive and wait for everyone else to invite you to do things. And I started to realize this was recently, like in the last couple months, it takes me three seconds to send you or someone else a text, be like, yo, you want to go surfing? Mm -hmm. Yo, you want to go grab dinner? Call a restaurant, make a reservation? That shit takes me three seconds. And then I get to hang out with people and we develop relationships. And and to your credit though, like I've never driven down to San Diego. We went to Tourmaline, but like I've never driven down here to surf. You make that drive up to Encinitas and, and we go surfing basically every single time that you text me. <laughs> it's like, yeah, for sure. Um, and so I recognize that in you as well, which is like taking that initiative. And so because I'm someone who doesn't like to work anywhere other than my house. <laughs> so like coming down here would be like, oh yeah, you got the WeWork space and stuff, but like I'm more, I love my home. Like that's my, my zip. I love down. your home. <laughs> right. And so uh, the ability to be like, okay, I'm gonna rearrange my schedule to go surf with Cam because I also see the effort he's putting in, right? Like it's, it's reciprocal even if it doesn't necessarily look that same way. And that's a, a great example though of energy out. It's energy out. And your question was around, well, how do we expand the container? And the honest answer is energy out. Energy out, like what are you putting it towards? When, when you're, if you're doing the same thing over and over, like video games or, or surfing or whatever, like if it becomes a negative and that's still where you're putting your energy, you're not expanding. You're not. I make it a point to try and go outside my comfort zone all the time. I go to events that aren't necessarily my thing because I want to be surrounded by people who don't. I, I did a spoken word piece about being white during all those racial police shootings and how I felt like I didn't have a voice and like it's a Black Lives Matter, yes, but can I talk about that? And I did this whole spoken word piece. And what did I do? My first time ever at an open mic, I went to the Poetry Lounge in Los Angeles, which is like 85% African-American um, in the audience to do that piece. It was the first piece I've ever done in person at an event like that because I needed to know like I, I needed to put myself out of that comfort zone because I know that every time you step outside the comfort zone, you've just expanded it. Every time you go outside your comfort zone and you survive, your brain goes, oh, well, why did I have this artificial boundary here? That's not, it doesn't need to be there anymore. Let's, let's move it over there. And, and, and you expand. So let's talk about psychedelics. <laughs> Segway. Do you... Do you feel like psychedelics have given you an opportunity to unlock more about yourself, discovering more about yourself, learning more about flow state? Where did your journey with psychedelics begin and, and how have they kind of had an impact on you in that way? Disclaimer. With psychedelics, psychedelics, psychedelics are illegal, uh, which is bullshit, yes, but still the law. Um, and I'm not a doctor, <laughs> okay? But I do a lot of research. Um, the two things that have had the biggest impact on my life, 
uh, have been hiring my first life coach and subsequently hiring other mentors and the use of psychedelics. Those two things have expanded me and supported my growth more than, than anything else. Um, I'd add books in there as well, like reading and podcasts and stuff. Um, what psychedelics do from like a scientific perspective, when you look up like people on LSD in the CAT scans of the, their brain and stuff, they'll do these studies now where you're getting, uh, they're like showing images while people are being scanned while on LSD, right? And parts of the brain that n aren't normally active when they're thinking about politics or when they're thinking about religion, when they're on the psychedelic, those parts of the brain are now active. And so, Literally what's happening is the psychedelic is creating new neural pathways in your brain, new connections while um, thinking about subjects you normally think about. Because when you and I are talking about surfing or when we're talking about politics or whatever, there's our brains will fire the same way as we're talking, like the same regions of the brain will light up every time. Now we have that conversation, we do this podcast on psychedelics, we are going to be activating different parts of the brain. And when we're doing that in relation to new or old topics, we're seeing things differently. And so that's what's happening inside your head. How that, what that translates into is a complete uh, dissolving of the belief structures that we've held and the creation of new ways of thinking which if you're looking at where we're at as a society today the old systems don't work anymore and that's not to say that the old systems are bad okay They're, they got us to where we are which I think is awesome we're in this like the safest time in human history people are living the longer and healthier and happier and the level of overall abundance is pretty remarkable um, with that said, the systems now are no longer working. It's unsustainable and more and more people are moving backwards, let's say, instead of forwards. So that means new systems get to be created. The problem is we're trying to use old systems to create the new systems, when in reality what needs to be done is creating entirely new systems, which means we actually need our brains to think differently than they have in the past. There's very few ways that I know of that are as effective at doing that as psychedelics. So I'm one of those people who did not believe in God. I didn't believe in this energy, is, everything is energy bullshit. I didn't believe in any of the hippie new age, we're all connected, bro. Like it's nothing but love, love is all there is. I didn't believe in any of that. I was closer to atheist than I was to that. And in one ayahuasca ceremony, everything changed for me. It, it literally blew my mind open in a way that I've never looked back since. And everything shifted. The house I live in now, the job that I have, the levels of friendship that I have, what I feel like I'm here to do, all of it came from shifting. And it's not that like I, I'm on psychedelics all the time because that's the only way that I can access it. But what has happened is I got a chance to get a glimpse of the path. It's like, oh wow, I didn't even know that there was a door here. 
let me let me walk through that door instead of staying in this room I've been in for the last 18 years let me just walk through this door oh shit there's a bunch of cool stuff in here like let me take a moment to check this out okay I feel comfortable in this room <gasps> there's a door over here let me go through that door what's that door that door is combo which is frog poison they burn into your skin to do a purge and an energetic release oh okay now I'm in this new room you know what I mean and I'm always just searching in that way and with that said going back to like the the Terrence McKenna and Ram Dass thing like set and setting is everything so for anyone who's listening who's like oh okay yeah I'm, I'm, I'm open to psychedelics set and setting is everything the intention that you set and the setting that you're in is so important the idea that you can just take a bunch of mushrooms with all your like stoner friends who uh, are negative and not happy in life and you're in a, like a dark space with like some rap music playing or whatever and you're gonna have a great time that's probably a bad time and I've had some bad trips back before I was setting intention and um, yeah just like everything else man if, if I invite you over and I'm in a bad mood and I like the house is a mess and we're gonna probably not have as good a time as if the house is clean I'm in a great mood I've cooked some good food like that sort of thing right and I can definitely share just you know my own personal experience of set and setting is essential you know some of the most powerful top five moments of my life multiple ones of those have been with the use of LSD or mushrooms or or MDMA in that way and I've also had the polar opposite of some of my darkest moments and and truly just seeing like the depths of of negativity in the world have also been in those experiences and they're beautiful they're enlightening in the sense of of the importance of intention mm. because intention was really the difference between those experiences when i've done them from the place of fuck the world i want to check out i'm anxious i just want to like get high and forget about things i had those experiences versus i really want to kind of be present with this and i'm doing this with the right people and doing this from the right perspective and that has a major influence and so whether it's psychedelics or just in life intention makes such a significant difference uh, and that's the intention of how you want to show up that's the intention of the thoughts you want to have the beliefs you want to have the intention of being open-minded we talked a lot about that in, in the deep dive episode 35 on your podcast the intention of your home right now with your your home very intentional everything is an intention there and so if there's one thing I just want to encourage everyone listening really start to think about intention in your life and, and what are your intentions not just of how you show up but of how you're creating the environments around you last question choose love is is a hashtag that you use <laughs> and when we first met and I saw that I was probably like here we go again right another Preston smiles like love's voice ever love 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 <laughs> and for a lot of people listening to this you know that's probably a bit much mm -hmm. and that's okay I get it I've you know I certainly resonate with that from meeting Preston and spending time with you guys I can also speak to the fact that you know Tanzania also probably had an impact on me in that way big time I know I show up with more love and I I have that intention and 
it's made a significant difference in my life and it's something I, I can speak to from an experience place. Mm-hmm. And I also can, can fully acknowledge that it can feel very abstract. Yeah. It's a very abstract idea. Give the people, what does choose love mean? And, and how can they begin to, to experience more of that in their life? That's a great, great question. So uh, there's an Oprah Winfrey quote. Uh, she says, every moment in life is giving you the opportunity to choose love over fear. And that quote is so awesome. I love that quote because what it's really speaking to is your, your ability to, to choose and exercise your free will in each and every moment. So you have this, uh, this opportunity in front of you when someone cuts you off in traffic to get really upset about it, to get super pissed off about it and really freak out. And then if you do that, you have the opportunity to sit in that and take that with you for the rest of the day. Or you can think and recognize in yourself, wow, there have been times in my life where I have been incredibly rushed or just not in a good headspace and had to kind of drive like a dick. Like just didn't even think about it and, and cut someone off or like had to squeeze in because I forgot to get over soon enough, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you can choose that level of compassion for that other person, right? And what that does is carries you forward completely differently for the rest of the day. Um, I'm not going to talk about it here, but on my podcast, The Deep Dive, um, people can listen. There's one called uh, Compassion is Contagious. I think that's the name of it, um, where I break down how scientifically compassion is actually contagious and it, and it can carry forward. Here's the thing. The loving choice is not always the easy one. The loving choice is not always the obvious one. There was a situation with um, one of Asria's clients, actually, where... Uh, she, this, this woman was really excited because her sister was having a baby. She was about to be an aunt for the first time. She's like, yes, this is so exciting. I'm going to have a little niece or nephew. And then her sister said, uh, and, and this is like a, a bit of a hippie family. She hasn't been vaccinated against anything. Doesn't believe in vaccines, thinks that they are, you know, awful. And then the sister says, we're not going to let anyone around the baby unless you've been vaccinated. She's like, what? I don't believe in vaccines. That kind of goes against everything I believe in. She's like, then you're not going to be around the baby. Now, on the surface, we have these two options, right? You can either get the vaccine so you can be around the baby or you don't get the vaccine. Which is the loving choice in that moment? And neither of those choices, just in and of themselves, empirically, are the loving choice. What you have is a situation where you could get that vaccine because you want to be the best aunt you possibly can and you have so much love for this niece or nephew and that's that's the place you're coming from and that's the loving choice and you can also get that vaccine because you're really scared of conflict and you just don't want to own your voice and and etc and that's coming from a fear place or you could not get the vaccine and you could not get the vaccine because you're like, fuck you. Like, you're not going to tell me what to do. I've always hated you, etc., etc. And that's coming from this fear-based place. Or you could not get the vaccine because you have, have want, you've been working really hard on valuing your own opinions and 
owning your self-worth and, and the things that are important to you. And that could be the loving choice. And so when I say choose love, it's not some hippie concept that's super easy and just like, oh yeah, just give them a hug and like say I love you or whatever. What I'm saying is take the time to look at yourself, look at your beliefs, look at your intention with why you're doing things and always try to make the most loving choice. It's not easy all the time. It's oftentimes in today's society, actually it's the harder thing to do. It really is because we're set up in a way for conflict and we're set like a zero sum game we were talking about. There's a win-lose mentality that exists currently in our culture. And so choosing love can be seen as almost like weakness or giving in. Yeah, so, so if you're wondering what that looks like, to me it starts internally and just asking yourself why. Why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I'm afraid or I'm angry or whatever? Or I'm doing this because I genuinely want what's best for me and for them. Very well said. Where can people find you? Where can people learn more about your program you're putting on, the podcast you have, the one-man shows you're doing? Where can people find you? Well, uh, Facebook and Instagram are really the primary places to find me. Adam Roa, A-D-A-M-R-O-A. Uh, I think it's at Adam.roa on Instagram. Uh, I do have a YouTube channel. I have a podcast called The Deep Dive with Adam Roa. You can find on iTunes and your podcast app and SoundCloud. Uh, those are the primary ways. And you can go to my website, adamroa.com, to uh, find out more about me. And also in the upcoming section, uh, apply for any of the stuff that I'm doing. Currently, I'm, I'm taking applications for an Unlocking Your Inner Artist course, which is where I help people uh, tap into deeper levels of creativity and approach creativity differently, which is a four-week program that I'm doing um, that I'm really excited about. So, Adam's one of the, the people in my life who I, who I really look up to, and, and we'll have all those links in the show notes, gamequeers.com backslash five for episode five. Adam, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing. No, thank you, man. Thank you for doing what you're doing. And I know how much energy it takes to to hold the container. Let's continue to use that word for the amount of people uh, that you're doing that for is really remarkable. And it's a testament to, to who you've become to even be able to do that. So I'm glad that you now have a podcast that you're, you're spreading that message even further. So it's awesome. Thank Thanks, you for bro. having me. All right, there you guys have it. Hope you guys really enjoyed the interview. For any of the links or things that we mentioned during the episode, go to gamequiz.com backslash the number five. That's the number five for episode five of the Game Quiz podcast. Adam was awesome. And Jason, what do you think? Yeah, great interview. Thanks, Adam, for coming on and being our second guest of the podcast. This, this thing is really evolving fast, and I think we've got a lot more guests to come on and join us in the future. So very, very excited for uh, just watching this thing progress. Also just want to take a quick second to note that I was on the Game Quitters Forum recently, and I've been trying to spend a little bit more time there to just, you know, read some of the content on there and engage with the community. And I actually was speaking with a gentleman, I believe his name uh, on there, the screen name was, uh, was it the Mad Pharmacist? I think, Cam, you jumped in on that <laughs> the, thread. The Mad Pharmacist, he's one of the legends in our community. Yeah, he, he uh, you know, it dropped by to introduce himself and say hi, and I uh, got acquainted with him, and he was just a, a great guy to have a quick little chat. We talked about poutine, since I'm Canadian, of course, that had to come up, and we had some good, uh, some good uh, conversation happening on there, but... 
he was on there, but there was another gentleman as well. I believe he had a screen name that was just Gamer Addict, and he had told his story about um, how he was having a little trouble. Uh, he's married, and he's just been spending a lot of time away from his family and his kids because of games. And uh, I just want to give a shout-out to him as well, because being married myself, I know that gaming certainly can cause a bit of a void and a hole in your life and really can pull you away from those things that are so important, which is family. And sometimes when you're so absorbed in games, it's really easy to forget how re-energized your family can help you and make you feel. So uh, stay strong if, if you're listening and uh, best of luck to anybody who's going through something similar. And make sure you guys subscribe, leave a rating, a review. We're now on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. So wherever you're listening, make sure you hit subscribe and leave us a review as well. That really helps us out a lot. And get excited because next week on Thursday, we release episode six. And in episode six, we have Dr. Hugh Kim Lee, who is an Australian child and adolescent psychiatrist. He's the founder of CGIClinic.com, has a TEDx talk on the spell of digital immersion, and he's traveled all over the world going to internet gaming addiction clinics. He's on the front lines of really that conversation around can we get gaming addiction to be officially diagnosed, which really actually makes a big difference, especially when it comes to insurance and getting coverage for help in this area, especially professional help. So we had a really amazing discussion, and, and you're going to really enjoy it. So make sure you tune in next week for Episode 6. And again, any of the resources, anything that we mentioned, go to GameQuiz.com. We'd love to help, and I hope that you guys have a great week. So we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.